had uh, a uh, goodbye celebration for Senator Alexander on the floor today that Senator Menendez and I were participating in, but uh, he's quicker at bet getting back to his office than I am. But uh, in any event, uh, uh, welcome uh, to all of you. Um, today, we're going to hold a nomination hearing for five important overseas posts. Our nominees today are all career members of the Senior Foreign Service. And uh, we, uh, in, in the COVID days, this is how we have to do it. They're awkward and difficult, but nonetheless, uh, has to be done. Uh, first of all, we have Mr. Uh, Kevin Blackstone, class of uh, Minister Counselor to be Ambassador to the uh, Democratic Republic of Timor-Leste. Ms. Cynthia Kirst, class of, uh, Counselor to be Ambassador to the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. Uh, Mr. Brian E. McFeeters, Class of Minister Counselor to be Ambassador to Malaysia. The Honorable uh, Ida Posse, Class of Career Minister to be Ambassador to the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia. And the Honorable David Reimer, Class of Counselor to be Ambassador to the Republic of Sierra Leone. Uh, these are uh, some important assignments that need to be done. And obviously, uh, there's uh, at least uh, one country in here that we have a very significant uh, uh, concerns about. And that, uh, of course, is uh, uh, Ethiopia. In any event, uh, with that, before I recognize the, uh, each of you to, uh, to make your statements, I want to recognize the government. Well, uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'm pleased to see such a qualified panel of nominees before us today with two former ambassadors as well as experienced State Department personnel with sterling records of service. And I want to thank you and your families for your service uh, to our country. Uh, Ambassador Pazzi, uh, I look forward to hearing your views on Ethiopia, a country in the midst of a historic political transition whose outcome is of great consequence to U.S. interests. Like many others, I was impressed by the landmark political reforms implemented by Prime Minister Abiy. And while I still maintain hope that Ethiopia can build a stable, prosperous democracy, recent events raise some serious concerns. Even before the conflict in Tigray, which I have condemned on the Senate floor, the levels of violence in Ethiopia were alarming. Political space has been closing for some time. Journalists and political opposition figures have been jailed along with thousands of others. Ethiopia has a once-in-a-generation opportunity at democratic transformation, and the U.S. must do what it can to support a course correction. Unfortunately, our diplomatic efforts thus far have been insufficient. Um, uh, I think uh, we have to renew our efforts. We have to talk about how we're going to approach the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, which has a series uh, of related countries that are uh, also uh, in the issue. And I would love uh, to hear from you a fresh set of ideas how we engage with Ethiopia to advance both the interests of the United States and Ethiopians. Ms. Kirsch, uh, I love your background. It looks like an extension of your persona, so uh, the, the painting. Uh, you have been nominated to serve in a country that is making some notable progress. In 2019, Mauritania's president stepped down, making him the first Mauritanian leader to adhere to constitutional term limits. Mauritania was recently upgraded from Tier 3 to Tier 2 watch list due to the government's new anti-trafficking national action plan, as well as the conviction of five slaveholders. And remarkably, there has not been a terrorist attack in the country since 2011, considering that other countries in the sub-region are experiencing a significant increase. 
However, challenges remain. There is still discrimination against the Haritine ethnic group and black Mauritanians. Slavery remains a significant problem despite government efforts. And according to the 2020 Global Terrorism Index, terrorism is falling in some regions, but it's rising in the Sahel. I hope you'll provide us today with an overview of what the administration's strategy will be for combating terrorism in the, in the Sahel. In addition, I would like to know what steps you'll take uh, to improve democratic governance in Mauritania and to combat slavery. So I look forward to hearing from you. Ambassador uh, Reemer, I'm glad that we will be sending such an experienced diplomat uh, to Freetown. Uh, Sierra Leone is a country that can one can view with cautious optimism. With the help of the U.S. and the international community, Sierra Leone has made real progress since the end of its bitter civil war, including the fair and peaceful election of President uh, Beale in 2018. But the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic has tempered my optimism. Sierra Leone faces increasing economic pressures, which will make it more difficult to combat poverty and corruption and improve access to health care and education. I look forward to hearing how the United States can help President Beale navigate these challenges. Also look forward to hearing from Mr. McFeeters about he plan how he plans to lead our embassy in Kuala Lumpur at a time when many countries in the region, including Malaysia, are looking to the United States for help against an increasingly aggressive China. And finally, Mr. Blackstone, I have heard good things about your leadership at the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs during the COVID epidemic. I look forward to hearing from you about Timor-Leste and particularly on the subject of development challenges, uh, consolidating democratic institutions, and the risk posed by increased Chinese influence. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Menendez. Uh, we'll now turn to, to our nominees. Uh, your full statement to each of you uh, will be included in the record. So if you could keep your remarks to about five minutes, we would uh, greatly appreciate that. And uh, that'll give the maybe the opportunity to engage with you on questions. So uh, with that, uh, let's start uh, with uh, Mr. Blackstone. Mr. Blackstone, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to be sure you can hear me before I begin. I can. I can't see your picture, but I can certainly hear you. Oh, uh, that's all right. I have the that. same problems. I, I usually was, get one of my grand. There you go. Now you're back. I usually get one of my grandkids to come in and help. Okay. Um, oh, now you're off again. That's all right. We can hear you. Uh, okay. Sorry, I'm switching uh, windows here. I apologize for that. Just to have my notes with me. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I am deeply honored to appear before you today as the president's nominee to be United States ambassador to the Democratic Republic of Timor-Leste. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with this committee to advance our relationship with Timor-Leste, a young democracy and a promising friend of the United States. With the chairman's permission, I would like to begin by thanking the family, friends, and colleagues who have supported me through my nearly 30-year career. My wife, Alexandra, also a State Department employee, son, Benjamin, who has continued our family's tradition of public service as a U.S. Army officer, and daughter, Olivia, a college student, deserve equal credit for my professional success as we shared in the joys and challenges of the Foreign Service as a family. I also thank colleagues from the department and across the interagency for their professionalism and support. Mr. Chairman and members, the 
The uh, United States and Timor-Leste have enjoyed strong bilateral ties since Timor-Leste gained its sovereignty in 2002, and we remain committed to the success of Timor-Leste and celebrate its embrace of democracy. Our relationship is bound by mutual respect, shared values, and common interests. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I look forward to leading the dedicated mission team of Americans and local Timorese who work tirelessly to advance our bilateral relationship. And if confirmed, I pledge to be a careful steward of the resources provided by Congress, both for the operation of our diplomatic platform and funds appropriated for development assistance. Timor-Leste has shown that it is possible for a new country to emerge from years of conflict to establish a nation founded on democratic principles and the respect for human rights. The United States partners with Timor-Leste to strengthen security, governance, economic growth, health, agriculture, justice, and law enforcement. We implement our efforts through USAID, military-to-military -military engagement, the Peace Corps, Department of Agriculture, and a new Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact. The Timorese government and people value U.S. assistance and welcome our cooperation and partnership. The United States has also provided almost $1.6 million for health assistance to the Timorese government in its efforts to combat COVID-19, which has helped to limit the pandemic's impact there. Our growing security partnership with Timor-Leste is focused on humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, maritime and border security, and professionalizing Timorese defense forces. For example, a rotating U.S. Navy Seabees detachment provides critical humanitarian assistance and infrastructure support to the Timorese people. In 2019, the Seabees marked their 100th construction project in the country, these projects benefit thousands of Timorese citizens and bolster the standing of the United States. As well, the Timorese recently joined the National Guard State Partnership Program, and the U.S. trains Timorese law enforcement personnel at our International Law Enforcement Academy in Thailand. The U.S. and Timor-Leste enjoy strong people-to-people -people ties, with 74% of its population under 35 years of age Positive engagement with young people is essential to our future bilateral relationship. State Department funded exchange programs, including the International Visitors Leadership and Fulbright programs, and the Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative, YCLE, help shape a positive image of U.S. society and culture, especially among youth. If confirmed, I will continue to build these crucial people-to-people -people ties. We recognize Timor-Leste's growing engagement on a wide range of key regional and global issues. In 2019, Timor-Leste and Australia ratified a historic maritime boundary treaty using a mechanism that could be a model for other countries seeking to solve such differences. Timor-Leste has applied to join ASEAN and the World Trade Organization and seeks to strengthen its regional and global ties. Timor-Leste supports the rules-based order which is fundamental to the region's security and prosperity and to a free and open Indo-Pacific region. If confirmed, I will continue to underscore U.S. support for the sovereignty and dignity of Timor-Leste. During my Foreign Service career, Mr. Chairman, I have proudly served the United States, both in Washington and abroad. If confirmed, I will use my experience to guide our mission in Delhi 
to strengthen our relationship as we continue to promote our interests in Timor-Leste and in the broader Indo-Pacific region. I appreciate the opportunity to appear before you today, and I'm happy to answer your questions. Uh, Mr. Blackstone, we'll now uh, turn to uh, Cynthia Kirster, and uh, Ms. Kirster, the floor is yours. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished, distinguished members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as the President's nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. I appreciate the confidence the President and Secretary of State have placed in me through this nomination. Mr. Chairman, I would first like to express my deep appreciation for the love and support of my family, friends, and colleagues. In particular, I would like to recognize my mother, Marcia Kirsch, who has been an excellent role model and friend, and my late grandmother, Cynthia Selland, who was a North Dakota public school teacher for 45 years taught geography, and from whom I no doubt got much inspiration for this journey. I am also grateful for the love and support of my brother Matthew and his family. In my 30 years of public service, it has been a privilege to represent the American people abroad. My experiences in North Africa, in Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco have prepared me to recognize the strategic nature of Mauritania's unique geography, situated between the Maghreb and the Sahel, and its potential impact on our economic and security interests. In my recent service as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs, I have witnessed the power of citizens to bring change at the ballot box and the impact this can have on good governance, the rule of law, and human rights. When I look at Mauritania, I see potential. The potential for transformational progress on democratic governance, inclusion, and human rights. The potential for economic prosperity through bilateral trade and investment and the potential to be a regional leader in security and counterterrorism. If confirmed, promoting Mauritania's potential in these areas will be my primary objective because it is in our interest to have a stable, democratic, and accountable Mauritania as a partner in the region. Let me start with human rights. For far too long, Mauritania had a poor record on human rights that it hesitated to address. This is no longer the case. Since President Ghazwani's 2019 inauguration, Mauritania has made significant strides to address its legacy of slavery. The country is on the right track and our engagement serves to encourage their better inclinations. Tools provided by Congress in the form of the African Growth and Opportunity Act eligibility criteria and the trafficking in persons ranking restrictions help demonstrate the costs of undermining human rights. The Mauritanian government's recent approval of new anti-trafficking legislation, establishment of a ministerial committee charged with implementing the TIP recommendations, and adoption of an anti-trafficking national action plan demonstrate its political will to address this issue. Today, we seem to have a partner in the Ghazwani administration to make real headway on long-standing human rights concerns. And if confirmed, I will seek to ensure this progress continues. With progress on human rights comes the potential for increased economic prosperity through bilateral trade and investment. It is no secret that U.S. companies not only produce and sell high quality goods and services, but they also improve the commercial climate when it comes to business ethics, transparency, and the development of local talent. 
Some of our hydrocarbon companies are already exploring opportunities in Mauritania with great success. U.S. businesses have also invested in the agricultural sector, but more can be done. Mauritanian fisheries are a potential market for U.S. investment and an area ripe for an export to the United States. If confirmed, I will work with the U.S. interagency and private sector to promote mutual economic prosperity. Finally, Mauritania has demonstrated great potential on the key issues of security and counterterrorism. A founding member and current president of the G5 Sahel and success story in countering violent extremism, Mauritania is willing and able to take on a leadership role to share its lessons learned within the region. In February, Mauritania hosted the Flintlock exercise comprised of 1,500 troops from 30 countries working together to strengthen the ability of partner nations to counter violent extremist organizations, protect their borders, and provide security for their people. Mauritania also recently joined the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS, strengthening the coalition's efforts to ensure ISIS's de enduring defeat in the region. Mauritania's whole of government approach to combating terrorism has garnered U.S. support for both its military and law enforcement agencies tasked with pursuing terrorism. If confirmed, I will continue to build on our relationship with the Mauritanian security forces and deepen collaboration with the G5 Sahel Secretariat based in Nouakchott. Having served two tours in the Bureau of Counterterrorism, I understand the stakes at hand. I can also assure you that if confirmed, the safety and security of all American citizens in Mauritania would be my highest priority. In closing, Mauritania is a land of potential, both for its citizens and for the United States. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the embassy team, the interagency, Congress, American businesses, and non-governmental organizations and our Mauritanian partners to ensure that this potential is fully realized to the benefit of all. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, members of the committee, I thank you for this opportunity to appear before you and I look forward to your questions. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Uh, now we'll turn to uh, Mr. McFeeters, who's been nominated for Ambassador to Malaysia. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I'm honored to be the President's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to Malaysia. With your permission, Mr. Chairman, I would like to recognize my wife, Melanie, who's not only worked at the post where we have served, but has also ensured that our three children thrived, including when we were evacuated and during periods when I was serving overseas unaccompanied. I would also like to recognize my parents, my father, James, who served as a U.S. Air Force, US Air Force officer for 30 years, including leading a fighter squadron in Vietnam, and my mother, Nancy, who taught elementary school for 30 years. If confirmed as ambassador to Malaysia, I will draw on my 29 years of experience as a foreign service officer, including leadership positions as deputy chief of mission in Baghdad and Jakarta, principal deputy assistant secretary in the Bureau of Economic and Business Affairs, and senior advisor to the counselor of the department. In recent years, Mr. Chairman, the United States and Malaysia have greatly expanded defense and law enforcement cooperation 
to promote the safety and security of citizens in both of our countries. We cooperate in combating terrorism and transnational crime and countering violent extremist narratives to keep both our borders and our skies safe. If confirmed, I intend to work with Malaysia to deepen our close security and law enforcement cooperation, particularly in shared priority areas such as maritime security, counterterrorism, and cybersecurity. The United States has recovered and assisted in the recovery of more than $1.2 billion in assets associated with the 1MDB International Money Laundering and Bribery Scheme. The Department of Justice continues to trace and recover these stolen assets so that they can be returned to the benefit of the Malaysian people. If confirmed, I intend to continue supporting our mutual commitment to combat corruption. The United States is among Malaysia's largest foreign investors. Last year, bilateral trade reached nearly $60 billion, and Malaysia produced important, produces important PPE supplies and components used in our health sector. We are grateful for Malaysia's efforts to keep vital supply chains open during the global pandemic, and the fact that they facilitated export of critical PPE to U.S. frontline workers earlier this year. The United States promotes the rule of law, transparency, and good governance, and freedom of expression in Malaysia. Human trafficking, including forced labor, remains a significant issue in Malaysia, and the government has much work to do. If confirmed, I will urge Malaysian government officials to significantly improve anti-trafficking efforts and investigate and prosecute allegations of forced labor. I will also coordinate with Malaysia and UNHCR regarding the safety and security of nearly 180,000 refugees and asylum seekers, including 100,000 Rohingya. Our, publicly, our public diplomacy programs demonstrate the strong connection between the United States and Malaysia. The Young Southeast Asian Leaders Initiative is a vibrant part of our engagement, with nearly 500 emerging Malaysian leaders participating in programs last year. If confirmed, I intend to continue support for these people-to-people -people programs. While Malaysia maintains close relations with China, Beijing is increasingly encroaching on Malaysian-claimed maritime areas in the South China Sea. The PRC's assertive and provocative activities are hampering Malaysia's long-standing efforts to pursue its interests in exploiting natural resources off its coast. The United States is concerned about China's actions and destabilizing presence in the South China Sea and rejects Beijing's unlawful South China Sea maritime claims. If confirmed, I will support Malaysian and regional efforts regarding freedom of navigation and overflight and unimpeded lawful commerce in the South China Sea. I will also encourage Malaysia to pursue open and transparent investment and infrastructure deals to avoid negative Chinese economic influence. Malaysia, Malaysia is a regional leader in combating COVID-19 and has taken proactive measures to respond to the pandemic. As a result, the country is working to contain the spread of the virus. If confirmed, I will engage with the government of Malaysia to partner on bilateral and regional initiatives to mitigate the spread of the disease. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I thank you for this opportunity to be appear before you, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. We'll now turn to uh, the Honorable Gita Posse, who's been nominated for uh, the ambassadorship to the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, certainly a country that's on all of our radars these days. So, Ms. Posse, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee. 
I'm deeply honored to appear as the nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to Ethiopia. I'm grateful to the President and the Secretary of State for the confidence they have shown in nominating me for this position. If confirmed, I will work with this committee and the Congress to advance our country's interests in Ethiopia. I would like to recognize my sisters, Usha and Rita, and my brothers, Sunil Kumar, and their families, and thank them for their love and support. I'm a naturalized American who came here as a child of immigrants. Serving my country as ambassador is the highest honor. I would like to thank my friends, family, neighbors, and colleagues who helped me reach this point. Mr. Chairman, during more than 30 years as a Foreign Service Officer, I've had a variety of assignments, including in countries in transition. I've had the honor to serve as ambassador twice to Djibouti and Chad. Throughout my career, helping develop the strength and effectiveness of the State Department has been a priority, including when I served in the Bureau of Human Resources and now as Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of African Affairs. If confirmed, I will commit to continuing to support the development of my institution and my colleagues, including by recruiting and promoting the careers of a core of professionals and leaders that reflect the strength and diversity of our great nation. Mr. Chairman, our interests in Ethiopia are primarily in the areas of peace and security, democratic governance, and economic development, as well as promotion of U.S. business. The crisis in the Tigray region of Ethiopia is grave, with risks to life, Ethiopian and regional stability, and our national interests. The government of Ethiopia has announced the end of military operations. The United States remains concerned about ongoing hostilities and the risks the conflict poses. Throughout this crisis, we have cautioned against creating an ethnic conflict and have encouraged the government of Ethiopia to engage with moderate to gray leaders to restore peace. The United States, the African Union, and other international partners are ready to assist with dialogue and reconciliation. We also continue to urge protection of civilians and facilitation of free, safe, and unhindered humanitarian access. We prioritize the safety and protection of American citizens in Ethiopia. This is a critical moment for Ethiopia. Prime Minister Abiy made sweeping changes and made progress addressing long-standing democratic concerns, including human rights and press freedom. The complex issues that impede transition in Ethiopia include land tenure, ethnic tensions, and youth unemployment. The current Tigray crisis poses a threat to Ethiopia's reform agenda and national unity. Also at risk is Ethiopia's leadership in promoting peace and stability and countering violent extremism in the region. Africa and the world need a stable, secure, and peaceful Ethiopia. If confirmed, I will work hard for peace and stability in the Horn. The United States maintains strong relations with Ethiopia and aims to strengthen our partnership. While the security of Ethiopia and the region is front and center in our bilateral relationship, we also seek to promote democracy and good governance. If confirmed, I will also advocate for full respect of human rights and fundamental freedoms. U.S. national interests lie in supporting Ethiopia's economic progress as well. If confirmed, I will work to promote a business climate in Ethiopia that encourages U.S. private sector activity and ensures a level playing field for American businesses. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, if confirmed as the next U.S. Ambassador to Ethiopia, my top priority will be the security, interests, and welfare of American citizens. 
whether by ensuring responsive consular services or strengthening partnerships against terrorism, this priority will drive the embassy's agenda. Ethiopia is a dynamic nation with an extraordinary history. I'm honored by your consideration of me to serve in such an important posting. I will draw on my experience to navigate our engagement with the current challenges. And as Ethiopia begins its next chapter, one that holds unlimited potential for Ethiopia, the Horn of Africa, and the United States. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I thank you for the privilege of appearing before you today. I welcome any questions you might have. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Posse. Finally, we'll turn to uh, David Reimer, uh, for, nominated to Ambassador to the Republic of Sierra Leone. Uh, Mr. Reimer, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Mendez and members of the committee, thank you for this opportunity to appear before you and for your consideration of my nomination by President Trump to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Sierra Leone. I would like to thank President Trump and Secretary Pompeo for their trust in me to lead the U.S. Embassy and to maintain our strong relationship with Sierra Leone. If confirmed by the U.S. Senate, I will uphold that trust. At this point, I would like to recognize my wife, Simonetta Romagnolo, uh, currently listening in along with her family in Italy. Simonetta is employee of the U.S. Consulate in Milan, as well as my parents, Richard and Lois Reimer in Kansas, my brother Paul and his family in Illinois, and my sister Sue and her family in Pennsylvania. Sierra Leone has demonstrated progress despite extreme adversity in maintaining peace, strengthening democracy, and working toward an environment suitable for economic growth. The people of Sierra Leone have demonstrated resiliency and the capacity to rebuild after crises, including a devastating decade-long civil war, which ended in 2002, and the Ebola epidemic of 2014-2015, during which roughly 14,000 individuals contracted the disease and nearly 4,000 died. Now Sierra Leone is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and its severe health and economic impacts. The COVID pandemic has tested the resilience of Sierra Leonean people, and the United States government is a primary partner in their response efforts. The pandemic is having a devastating impact on Sierra Leone's small and fragile economy. The GDP growth rate is projected to drop from positive 5.1% to negative 3.1%, by the end of 2020. Lives and livelihoods have been lost. And just as we stood with the Sierra Leoneans during the Ebola crisis, the United States will support Sierra Leone's recovery from COVID-19. Even prior to the onset of COVID-19, Sierra Leoneans face social and health challenges. The country ranks near the very bottom at 181 out of 189 countries on the UN's Human Development Index, with high rates of maternal mortality, child malnutrition, and malaria. Sierra Leone must allocate funds and resources to public health. Doing so will be crucial to the country's future progress. If confirmed, I will work with the Sierra Leonean leaders to ensure that public health remains a top national priority. If, continued, if confirmed, I will continue our focus on strengthening democratic institutions and combating corruption. Since 2002, Sierra Leone has held four successive successful presidential and legislative elections that were broadly judged to be free, fair, and transparent. Sierra Leone has an important presidential election in 2023. I will make it a priority in my first months to engage with political parties 
civil society, and other stakeholders to advocate for continued dialogue and a free, fair, and peaceful election. The government has made progress in establishing a market-based economy and taken steps to protect worker rights. If confirmed, I would advocate to improve the investment climate for U.S. and foreign businesses, which would contribute to Sierra Leone's private sector growth and development. And at the same time, I will work closely with the U.S. business community to engage to encourage greater trade and investment between our two countries to spur prosperity both for Americans and Sierra Leoneans. As an economic cone officer, this is an area of particular professional and personal interest. We're starting off on strong footing with our relationship with Sierra Leone. We have many shared goals, and if confirmed, I will enhance our strong bilateral relationship while maintaining our principles of promoting democratic governance, respect for human rights, and the rule of law. In addition to these policy aims, I hold paramount the safety and security of the hundreds of U.S. citizens resident in Sierra Leone and the entire U.S. Embassy team, including U.S. citizen employees, their families, and our Sierra Leonean colleagues. If confirmed, I would do everything within my power to ensure the security of our mission and overseas, oversee its smooth operation. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for the opportunity to appear before you today. I welcome your questions. Thank you so much. Uh, we want to thank all of you uh, for the sacrifices and willingness to serve in these difficult positions, and particularly your families who share in that sacrifice. So uh, our thanks to all of you. Uh, on a uh, note here, we've got voted starting in a little bit. We're going to stick with this as long as we can, maybe take a break if we have to. But now we're going to get uh, questions from members of the committee, and we will start with uh, Mr. Chairman, did you call upon me? I, I, you faded out at some point. Yeah, I'm sorry. I did call on you. I, I okay. told everyone, of course, we have votes starting, but we're going to go through uh, questioning and you're first. Right. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for your for your testimony. Uh, Ambassador Passi, uh, as you know, the Horn of Africa is undergoing potentially tectonic shifts uh, given the possible uh, transitions uh, in Sudan and Ethiopia. Uh, that has significant implications for the strategic Red Sea corridor where the United States has a important set of national security interests. In that vein, let me ask you the following. Does the administration have a comprehensive policy for the Red Sea corridor? And if so, can you discuss with me what it is? Thank you, sir. We have um, an approach toward the Red Sea, um, and that is actually we have engaged with um, the U.S. Institute for Peace and others in efforts they have had uh, to discuss the Red Sea. Um, we are engaging with our colleagues in the Near East and Near East Asia Bureau um, because, of course, our interests are not, the Red Sea is not limited just to the Africa Bureau. We also have um, discussed this with all of our chiefs of mission. We had a chiefs of mission conference in February. Um, I would say that we have an approach. We don't have a formal, formal written document, but we definitely are focused on it. Similarly, we're looking at other issues beyond the Red Sea, like China, and doing the same thing with East Asia Pacific. But definitely I, I, focus. And an approach is is not a comprehensive policy. Should we have a comprehensive policy for the Red Sea corridor? Well, Senator, if I might speak frankly, I think it would be really very good. Um, in the past, the State Department has often, the U.S. government has often looked at countries bilaterally. 
But, you know, if you're the ambassador to Djibouti, you only care about Djibouti, perhaps, but you can't anymore in 2020. We have issues with China or Russia. We're doing a great job, I think, on things like malign influences from Russia, China, other countries, which I don't need to name, you're well familiar with them. But where we could do more, I think, is formalize this and start to think more broadly. Thank you. Is there, is there a, well, I appreciate that. And I think we should have a policy. I look forward to working with the State Department and see if we can develop one. What, what formal mechanisms exist in the State Department to develop it and coordinate policy and priorities between the Africa Bureau and the Near East Affairs? We, Senator, we interact very regularly on specific issues. If it's, uh, for example, we have a special envoy for Sudan, as you know, Ambassador Donald Booth, when he travels to the region, and then he also goes to places like Saudi Arabia and elsewhere. Um, somebody from Near East Asia travels with him and supports that trip because we realize that Sudan is on the border of Africa and Near East Asia, and there are a lot of there are a lot of there's a lot of dialogue that is um, important to take place that must take place not just in Washington and Khartoum but also in Dubai and and other places. Uh, similarly, we're very coordinated on China with our colleagues in the East Asia Pacific area. We meet regularly. We coordinate with our Undersecretary for Political Affairs and others. We even have um, people who are Chinese experts assigned to our embassies. We have one now, and we're adding two more this year who are going to be serving in African posts. One will be in Djibouti, one is in Kenya, a third is in West Africa, to help bring us closer together because there's a lot of expertise about these countries that we may not have in the Africa Bureau, but certainly NEA or EAP, our sister bureaus, will have that. Let, let me ask you a country-specific question. Uh, as you know, in November, serious uh, armed conflict broke out in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region, which pitted federal and allied forces against those of the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Um, and while the full course of that conflict remains unclear, it is but the latest round of violent unrest that has beset the country since 2018 and exacted a serious humanitarian toll on the Ethiopian people. Uh, on the floor of the Senate, I've called upon uh, the United States to take urgent diplomatic uh, action to address of this escalating conflict. What, in your view, are the drivers of this violence? What political issues have to be addressed in order to bring an end to the ongoing conflicts in Ethiopia and lead to a sustainable peace? Thank you, sir. Uh, we really appreciated your statement. Um, I think that Ethiopia is a country that for many years was ruled by one small group, the Tigray, uh, under the TPLF, the group that you mentioned um, has been uh, in conflict with the federal government. Um, it's hard to make a transition, I think, where a country was controlled by a small group and have an inclusive process. I think the main issue that, if confirmed, I would stress to my interlocutors in Ethiopia, and I would hope that others in Washington would be raising this view at different levels and through other channels, that the process of democracy can't be about one person. It has to be about the institutions, civil society, all the groups. So despite some groups being feeling like they don't have certain rights or privileges, they have to be included in the democratic process. Other issues that are really significant in Ethiopia are lack of uh, ability to own land. Land tenure is a huge issue, unemployment. Ethiopia has a very significant growth rate, over 6%, um, and down to about 35 now because of COVID, like many countries. But that, 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 uh, all that success is not reaching average Ethiopians. You know, we've talked about 
the fact that you can't get in touch with the Tigray region because communications are cut off or don't work. But even every day of the week or every day of the year, communications are a problem with lack of internet and so on. I think economic progress is going to be essential, but not just a high growth rate, but economic progress that really improves the lives of average Ethiopians. A lot of the frustration is about groups that feel like they haven't gotten what they feel they deserve. And there's this lack of inclusiveness, which I think that the prime minister welcomed when he first came. He's faced a lot of challenges now with Tigray and with some other groups. I believe that we can help him work toward the democracy that he wants, the democracy that we want, and what is needed in Ethiopia. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I have questions for all the other nominees, but I see other colleagues. Let me just end, if I may, with one last question uh, to you, Ambassador. The Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam has been a source of conflict between uh, Egypt, Ethiopia, uh, and others. Uh, how do you see, what role do you see the United States? I know the role it's played so far, so far hasn't been very, I don't know if we can say it's constructive. What role do you see us playing in order to end up in a peaceful resolution uh, of the issues? Thank you. It's complicated, you're right. It involves Sudan, Egypt, and Ethiopia. We've played largely an observer role, and um, to date, we have not reached the result that we had hoped for. I think we can encourage the parties, encourage Ethiopia, Sudan, and uh, as well as Egypt to work together. It can't just be done from um, Addis. It has to be done with all parties to try to get them to see the value. South Africa has taken the lead on hosting meetings, and there have been a number of them. Um, not just the meetings, the meetings over several months, but we haven't moved forward. I think ultimately these three countries need to see the value in this for themselves. There's tremendous energy potential, water potential. I mean, it is a win-win for all the countries. I think we can, we can recommend, we can uh, suggest, we can ask other partners in the world uh, who they might listen to to help encourage. And I think that's what we can do right now and best do to help move this process. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Um, Ms. Pazzi, I'm going to jump in real quick with a, a question on that subject, that since it's been raised. As I meet with people from the region, uh, almost all of them are, are uh, unanimous in saying that the United States should weigh in more heavily uh, on trying to resolve the issues surrounding the dam. Um, frankly, I, as I listen to the parties and listen to what their positions are, I, I'm not sure that would be helpful. Uh, but uh, what, what's your view on that? Thank you, sir. Um, well, we have weighed in, you know, and uh, the foreign ministers have met the President of the United States on several occasions with the three countries. We've had high-level uh, weigh-in. I think, obviously, the current crisis in Ethiopia has sidetracked any possibility to have meaningful talks with other countries um, the, for the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Really, Ethiopia is focused on the struggle right now in Tigray. I think we can encourage. Um, I'm not sure how you can force three countries because it's not just Ethiopia, as I said. You know, if I'm confirmed as ambassador to Ethiopia, I commit that I will press them to do this. It's in their interest, it's in the interest of the other countries. But of course, there are two other parties involved in this in this equation. So I think uh, perhaps a rethinking and, and trying to narrow down exactly what the issues are. There have been different issues of concern at different times. In recent discussions, I saw that Sudan raised concerns. You know, it's not just Ethiopia that might have concerns. So it's a, it's a three-way um, event, and it's going to require a lot of coordination. 
Thank you. Thank you. And I, one of the reasons I reached the conclusion I did that uh, I'm not sure it would be helpful is that reading between the lines of, of these people's request, what they really mean is they want us, the United States, to take their side in the dispute. Uh, I, I think that's uh, the code uh, that they're using when they say they want us more involved in this. Um, I, I, I agree with you. It's complicated and, and, uh, and certainly delicate. And thank you for your efforts. Uh, Senator Cardin. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And let me just thank all of our uh, nominees. Uh, you all have given your careers to public service, and we know that it's a sacrifice for your family. And we, we thank you for a very distinguished careers and your willingness to serve in uh, challenging places around the world. And certainly these countries uh, that, are, that are on today's hearing all have challenges. They're all trying to move towards more democratic states. And therefore, our mission in these countries are going to be particularly important. In regards to the Renaissance Dam in Ethiopia, uh, I agree with the chairman. The United States has to be uh, somewhat neutral in how to resolve, how the issue should be resolved, but that it needs to be through consultation and negotiations between the affected states. And of course, Ethiopia took some direct action. And then President Trump ruled in and said maybe Egypt should just bomb the dam. That I don't think is looked at as being neutral. So I think we have some challenges to get to that position where we can facilitate a resolution of the conflict that's in the region. And uh, I, I appreciate your diplomatic responses to both the chairman and ranking member, but it is an issue that needs to be resolved uh, for the uh, stability in that region. My question. Uh, and I, I think I'll first direct it uh, to Ethiopia, but also in regards to Malaysia. These are countries that are attempting to move towards more democratic uh, governments. And uh, the question is, how does our mission in country facilitate the type of progress being made in these countries towards democratic institutions? And how do we wrap our priorities uh, in our mission to, uh, to the values of good governance, respect for human rights, respect for civil societies. How, how are you gonna make that a priority? First of all, will you make that a priority? How are you gonna make that a priority? And you, will you work with the members of our committee that are directly interested in expanding uh, rights in each of these countries? Thank you, Senator. Um, yes, Ethiopia is certainly a country in transition moving toward democracy. Um, Ethiopia receives uh, assistance from the United States that we use to support civil society, ensuring there's a platform for people to discuss their political views in the uh, run-up to an election, which we believe will take place in mid-2021. It had been postponed because of COVID. So I believe that the embassy, um, as I see it from my position here in Washington as PDAS, is engaging in many, many ways through USAID funding. There are many, many things that we do that either to provide funding, to provide platforms. Uh, when I uh, visited Ethiopia, I accompanied the secretary. We met with the um, a group of religious leaders in Ethiopia. They're very influential. They had a lot of views about human rights and democracy. So there are many, many ways that the embassy is currently engaging. And if I'm confirmed, um, I commit that I will continue and look at ways that we can expand those efforts to reach areas that perhaps we're unable to reach as easily. Can I just follow up on that quickly? Uh, will you ensure that our mission will always welcome civil societies that are standing up for 
progress on human rights on behalf of the people of Ethiopia within Ethiopia? Yes, sir, I can confirm that I will do that. Um, that is something I have always done in other posts and something that um, is very important in Ethiopia. Thank you. And Mr. Chairman, if I could get a response in regards to Malaysia, I would appreciate it. Mr. A focus for uh, U.S. Embassy Malaysia. Um, the uh, the focus on democratic, accountable government is something that I would clearly emphasize if I were confirmed. It's something that the embassy has worked on. I think, as you know, Senator Malaysia has a dynamic democracy. They have high voter participation. Uh, they have largely freedom of the press, although we have some concerns about uh, pushback on freedom of the press lately. So that's an area we would focus on. On human rights, human rights in general are very important, in particular in Malaysia. The issue of human rights surrounding trafficking in persons is high on the list. More generally, uh, issues surrounding uh, foreign workers in Malaysia, about 20% of the workforce is foreign workers, something like two to four million of them undocumented, which makes them vulnerable. They've been exploited. There have been, they've been horrific uh, crimes against, against these workers. These are all areas that we support uh, through our people-to-people -people programs, through our advocacy. Uh, we try to connect people uh, with, with leaders on these issues back in the United States through the International Visitor Leadership Program. So it's a, it's a central priority uh, for U.S. mission uh, Kuala Lumpur now, and it would be if I were confirmed to continue that. And I would just ask the same question I, I just previously asked as to our mission being available for civil societies uh, for, so that they can uh, represent uh, the concerns about progress being made in the country on regards to human rights. Yes, sir. Uh, when I served in Malaysia in the, in the, about 10 years ago, we had a number of close relationships with civil society organizations. They, uh, they, they're great partners for what they do, and they also tell us a lot about what's going on in the country, so that would certainly continue. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. I don't see any of our other members logged in. They, we had a number of members who have attended uh, this meeting that were logged in. Uh, any, anybody want to uh, uh, claim some time here? I, I, don't, uh, I don't see any. Uh, Senator Menendez, uh, anything else for the good of the order? Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Kirsch, uh, what, what would you describe as the administration strategy for the Sahel? Thank you for the question, Senator. As I understand, in response to the growing instability in the region, the Department of State adopted the diplomatic engagement framework earlier this year for the Sahel, which goal is to improve internal and external coordination. Through that, uh, there was the appointment of the special envoy for the Sahel, Ambassador Peter Pham, who is charged with deepening engagement um, on the issues. If confirmed, I would look forward to working with him as the ambassador to Mauritania closely on Mauritania's role in promoting peace and security in the larger Sahel, particularly since Nouakchott hosts, of course, the G5 Sahel Secretariat and currently holds its, its presidency. All right. Uh, let me ask you, Mauritania, uh, how active has Mauritania been in the, the G5 Sahel uh, counterterrorism operations and, and what accounts for their level of engagement? We have a very active partnership with Mauritania as regards to counterterrorism within the Sahel. Um, we, they, we share the common goal, obviously, of countering terrorism and denying conditions 
that are ripe for recruitment and radicalization. I'm very pleased to announce that Mauritania was just the most recent uh, partner country to join the global coalition to defeat ISIS uh, on November 10th. They became the 83rd participant. Um, and we look forward to engaging with them in order to uh, work further on defeating ISIS in, in West Africa. They, they also have been a very strong partner with us in the Trans-Sahara Counterterrorism Partnership, which is working within the Maghreb and the Sahel to improve security sector capabilities, border security, address the underlying issues of counterterrorism, as well as promoting moderate voices in, in vulnerable populations. In, in particular with Mauritania, we have worked through the TSCTP to help them monitor their border with Mali and have sustained professional units during operations against uh, Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb. Through TSCTP, we've also um, worked on skills training for Mauritanian youth that are vulnerable to extremism. But as you point out, regional cooperation is quite is crucial for uh, defeating terrorists as they know no borders, um, which is why we also support the G5 Sahel Secretariat, which, as I mentioned, is located in Nouakchott, as well as the G5 Sahel Joint Forces as an African solution to African issues. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Ambassador Reimer, what, what, President uh, Biel ran on a promise to combat corruption which is endemic in Sierra Leone. Uh, recently, former President uh, Karama was interviewed by an anti-corruption agency as part of an investigation into corruption during his tenure. How would you assess uh, Beale's record on combating corruption? Uh, thank you for that question, Senator. Uh, I think the record so far is, is pretty good. Uh, I would say corruption is probably one of the, the biggest obstacles that Sierra Leone faces in terms of uh, uh, economic and social development, uh, transparency, international ranks Sierra Leone. I think it was the 119 out of 198 countries in the world, uh, which is not very good. However, it's a, an increase of uh, 10 places over last year. As well, the uh, MCC scorecards uh, that come out every year, the last two years, uh, Sierra Leone has passed uh, the corruption uh, grade. So I think it's fair to say that uh, Sierra Leone under President Bio has made progress, uh, but I also think it's fair to say that there's uh, uh, a lot more room to improve, a lot more room to improve. And uh, I, if confirmed, I look forward to, uh, to working on that issue. Thank mm -hmm. you. One other question for you. Uh, women and girls continue to face violence and severe discrimination in Sierra Leone. A shocking 86% of women have undergone some form of female genital, uh, genital mutilation. Uh, what is the U.S. doing to combat gender-based violence in Sierra Leone? How serious is this new administration, meaning the bail administration, about confronting GBV? Uh, th thank you, Senator. Um, just recently, I saw an interview with the, the president. I, I think it was just about two weeks ago where the president, uh, he, he himself brought it up during the interview as one of the priorities of his, of his administration. So that's, uh, that's, that's very encouraging to see that the, the government gets it and the government understands it. Uh, my understanding as well is that USAID uh, has been involved in uh, funding efforts to, to prevent this practice. Uh, and again, uh, as you say, this is, this is uh, very important, very, very pre uh, prevalent, and something that, uh, that if confirmed, I, I would continue to work on.
Well, I hope those last two issues we've discussed will be some of your focus uh, uh, upon your confirmation uh, uh, to the country. And one last question, uh, Mr. McFeeters. Um, how would you analyze the current relationship uh, between Malaysia and China? China and Malaysia, uh, China and Malaysia have long-standing ties, uh, particularly on the economic side. China has been Malaysia's largest trading partner for the last 11 years. Uh, their total trade with Malaysia is roughly twice the size of the U.S. So we just have to uh, we just have to treat that as reality. Um, I would comment on two other areas. On, in terms of South China Sea, uh, Malaysia is uh, sort of equally concerned as we are about these uh, illegal incursions by China into their waters. And because of our security cooperation, China, uh, Malaysia has gotten better about defending its own interests. So they're able to, you know, pick up uh, illegal fishermen and they're able to, uh, to block, you know, so-called so -called Coast Guard vessels from China or fishing vessels from China that are harassing oil platforms. So Malaysia, strong relationship with China, but Malaysia is increasingly speaking up for its own interests with our help. So with that economic disparity that exists in terms of Chinese economic influence in Malaysia, how do you how do you meet the challenges of promoting U.S. interests there? It, it is a challenge, but we're on the U.S. side. We have a, a very strong hand to play. We have 700 U.S. firms that are active in Malaysia, 250 members of the American Chamber of Commerce. Malaysia is, you know, it's the 38th largest economy in the world, I think, but it's the U.S. 15th largest export export site because of high income. So on the U.S. side, we have a good story to tell, which is high-tech companies that are both exporting to Malaysia and invested in Malaysia. And we have, you know, high, high international standards in terms of lending and, you know, transparent business practices. So I think we can tout that at every opportunity. Uh, I was proud that American companies or the American Chamber of Commerce in Malaysia raised $7 million this year for COVID assistance to Malaysian society. So that's the kind of, I think, modeling those best practices is something that we can amplify from the embassy's point of view. And if I may, Mr. Chairman, one final question, Mr. Blackstone, I don't want you to feel uh, no affection here in terms of uh, attention. So uh, how, speaking on this, in the same context, uh, how would you assess Timor-Leste's relationship with China and the risks of Chinese investment in Timor-Leste? And what actions should we take in, the, in that regard? Uh, thank you, Senator Menendez. I appreciate the opportunity to weigh in on that. So as I understand it, uh, China, the People's Republic of China, has an active diplomatic presence in country. Um, they have also provided development assistance, primarily to date in the form of infrastructure, um, uh, building uh, uh, some Timorese government facilities and in uh, some road building. I'll just note that the U.S. Uh, focus so far in our program around $20 million a year has been on promoting governance and what we believe are sustainable programs that the Timorese can carry forward themselves later. Now, as regard to Chinese investment, I expect that you're referring to what is called the Tasi Mani or South Coast Development Project. This is a multi-billion dollar proposal that would bring onshore processing of liquefied natural, natural gas. And it has strong support from some elements of the Timorese leadership. Um, however, uh, 
Timor-Leste's petroleum investment partners and others, including uh, diplomatic partners, have encouraged greater analysis um, of, the, of the potential economic viability of it. Uh, the China piece, to my knowledge, involved a 2019 planned agreement between a Chinese state-owned entity and, and, a, um, and the Timorese government for about $1 billion. However, that plan was never implemented, and to my knowledge, it has not progressed. The current governing coalition has taken a, a more skeptical approach to the entire complex uh, and, and has welcomed U.S. government offers of assistance through our various tools, such as the Asia Edge or the Transaction Advisory Network for infrastructure. So I think, um, I think the Timorese are appropriately wary, in particular, of uh, obtaining large loans, single country loans, in cases where it would require them to collateralize significant national infrastructure. And if confirmed, I will continue to keep a close eye on this, report on this, uh, and of course, engage uh, senior Timorese government leadership. Thank you very much. Mr. Chairman, I'll submit the rest of my questions for the record. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Blackstone, for that report. Uh, that, that kind of an issue is uh, happening all over the world, as we know, and it's good to have that kind of granularity on, on one particular one. Indeed, it's, uh, there's some good news there because we've certainly had lots of bad news over recent years regarding the Chinese and investments. Well, um, are there any other members of the committee on Uh, there being none. Uh, first of all, let me say that it's uh, an honor for me to uh, preside over a meeting with uh, five people with uh, such uh, in-depth credentials and uh, a deep understanding of each of the uh, areas that you're going to and the long, long years of dedicated public service that you do on a nonpartisan basis and carrying America's values uh, to these uh, far-flung places that uh, don't uh, see us uh, uh, as closely as they're going to see you. So thank you for that. Thank you for carrying those values for us. And uh, we sincerely appreciate it. Again, we appreciate the sacrifice that you know is necessary in serving in these places. And that's especially true to your families, whether they're with you or whether they're separated. They share in that sacrifice. And uh, we, uh, we all appreciate that. So uh, with that, uh, for the information uh, of all members of the committee, the record will remain open to the close of business on Friday. For the fourth, uh, including uh, members to submit questions for the record. To get those, we'd appreciate them back as quickly as we can get them back. And uh, with that, uh, we will stand.